This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives, with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Well, welcome, uh, Matt and Connell. We are back in the studio to do another uh, episode of our Perspective Series on Worldview, and I've been really enjoying this. I know for mm. some people probably it's been a bit of a, what are they talking about? But um, if, if you actually take a few minutes to dig into the, the episodes we've done in the past and actually think them through, there's some really, really, I mean, there's been some great revelations for me. And and uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm really enjoying this journey as we sort of look at what informs the way we live, informs the way we make decisions and the decisions that we make as we consider a Christian worldview. Mm. Yeah. It's uh, it's really important stuff, and perhaps Stu, a good way to start is just to remind people of our framework. Yeah, good good point, Matt. So uh, if you haven't been tuning in, I'd really encourage you to go uh, to any one of our episodes on the website or in your in your favourite podcasting app. And at the bottom of the uh, podcast blurb, you'll see there's a link to a video which helps explain the axis that we're talking about, uh, which is a dual axis that looks like a plus sign. We have a horizontal axis. Uh, one end of the horizontal axis on the left-hand side, we have pain. On the far right-hand side, we have pleasure. On the vertical axis at the bottom, we have profanity. And at the top, we have sacred. And uh, we've been looking at where we live our lives most of the time, which is pretty much in flatland, Mm. to use that term, on this uh, horizontal axis, trying to get as quickly away from pain to pleasure Mm. as we can and stay constantly on that in that trajectory heading Mm. towards pleasure. And we've flattened out. Uh, the sacred and the profane, largely because we don't want to feel those feelings of shame and profanity. That's and right, at the bottom end of the exactly vertical right. axis, yeah. And, and so the purpose of that model is to underscore the fact that there's this other dimension to life. Yes. So the, the issue is that in our culture, we tend to live along this sort of one-dimensional axis. Mm. But there's this whole other aspect to life um, that that we've depicted as a in terms of a vertical axis between... Uh, experiences at the bottom of that axis of, you know, guilt and shame and, uh, you know, a sense of desecration, mm. um, even a sense of defilement as counter, uh, sort of cultural as that, that term is, uh, even objectionable, that term is in our, yeah. in our culture. It's partly, this is partly the problem. And then, you know, at the top of that, you've got the experience of, of the glorious and the sublime and holiness and, and sacredness and so forth. Yeah. Um, so we've talked around, you know, how that makes sense of various experiences. And Matt, just before you move on, just again, to help people with clarity on this, I think we all accept that there's pain and we, we, we understand mm. pain. It's pretty hard to deny and we all love pleasure and that's at the other end of it. But But because, as you say, we don't like those feelings of shame and guilt. Uh, we eliminate those, but the only way to eliminate those is if you also eliminate the sacred. It's like you yeah, can't it's getting have rid of the whole, exactly. whole access. You can't yeah. have hot water unless cold water exists. Yeah, it's just not possible. And yeah. so, and so we we have to eliminate. We can't just eliminate the lower half of that. You end up having yeah. to eliminate the whole vertical. Yeah, access. that's right. And maybe Connell, you can reflect on the the way in which you know our priorities in life around these du- double axis. Like, you know, I'd be interested for you how this way of thinking I, I suppose reshapes you know your sense of priorities in life yeah i know it's a big question <laughs> <laughs> i'm always pondering it other I than when you when you first introduce the idea i kind of like wow that's such a a big transformative mm. um idea once i realized that there is that whole missing dimension and 
that I think we're all aware of and we kind of understand that there is a sacred and there is a profane. I mean, mm. that's I mean, core to the, mm. the Christian message mm. is, is that's what mm. ex- exists. And I think it's learning to try to, to dial down what I feel about living on that horizontal axis mm. and, and the pleasure and, and pain. Because we invest so much into that, don't we? It's yeah. all about the flight from pain and moving towards pleasure. Yeah. But there's something actually more important. There is. And I think when I'm seeking God, I usually go seeking him on that axis between pleasure and pain. Right. So I measure in some ways my experience of God. Ah, that's interesting, isn't it? With how I'm experiencing life on that axis. Well, or or, probably because one of the things that I, I think for a lot of people is, you know, am I having an experience of, and, and it often comes down to some tangible emotional mm-hmm. experience because it's the buzz in a sense yeah. uh, the, the, or the high, which again is a bit flat horizontal axis. We're looking for that tangible experience, but there's actually something that transcends that, isn't yes, there? That's right. And so I think as soon as anything goes wrong, I immediately blame God. Um, I mean, it's such a bad habit. Mm. As soon as anything goes again, I think, you know, I've asked God to change the situation and it hasn't. It's actually got worse. Mm. So it's not even just, it's not just pleasure. It's often like pain or situations that arise that I just, I know within myself. "Ah, So it's almost like, you you know, mapping your relationship with God along that horizontal axis, you know, where there's pain, you feel like, come on, this isn't right. Yes, that's right. Actually, (laughs) and when there's pleasure, I don't necessarily... Attribute that to God. It's more. <laughs> it sounds like all the, of us. <laughs> it's more the pain stuff. Yeah. And I think that what that does is actually challenges. Then it 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 kind of pushes me, discourages me. You know, in mm. in my yeah. faith. Mm. And it, you know, where is what we've you know what we talked about last week is that sense in which both pleasure and pain can have this elevating effect. Now, I mean, both pleasure and pain, there are senses in which that can have a sort of a desecrating effect as when mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about that in the last episode. But, you know, there is there is an experience of pain that actually ha- can have a sanctifying effect mm. uh, upon us. Uh, and, and there is an experience, bigger experience of pleasure or, or a, a better way, a deeper way of engaging with the pleasures of life. Yeah in a more multidimensional way yeah. that can actually, you know, lead to a, a real sense of a kind of a encounter with the goodness and the glory of God and so forth. And I think that's what, when you think about it, that vertical axis of, you know, going towards sacred is that I think is what I want to be more in tune with mm. in my own life. And that means kind of dialing back how I respond to pleasure and pain. So I think in, instead of trying to find God on that horizontal axis in terms of p- pleasure and pain, and as I just said, like mm. pain is kind of um, my natural reaction to God, even more so than pleasure. Pleasure I kind of enjoy in the moment mm. and maybe forget, you know, to, mm. to thank God for that. Mm. But when there's pain, it's very immediate. Like, yeah. I can get angry at God and feel discouraged at God mm. for putting me in that situation. So what I want, what I think the thing is, it's really sort of changed for me in terms of understanding this worldview is that I actually need to dial that back out, Mm -hmm. the idea of pleasure and pain and seek something that's beyond that much. Yeah. Beyond that. And Mm -hmm. what I actually want to do is instead of just living on that axis, 
I want to maybe reorientate my life to be more on the axis. Of, That's probably of the key. Sacred. Yeah. The reorientation. I mean, because when you talk about dialing back something, like, because in a way, we are wired for pleasure. I mean, it's yeah. one of the great, wonderful things about the way that we're created. Yeah. But it's recognizing in that pleasure the other dimension. In fact, in, in the same way as pain is recognized in this other dimension. So, yes, there's pain here, but in this pain, I mean, you know, for example, Paul. Uh, who certainly uh, doesn't want to justify, he doesn't justify suffering. He d- he's not saying it's good, uh, like it's just bad. It's part of the Christian worldview. It's just bad, right? And yet, he says, and yet suffering produces perseverance, produces character, which produces hope, right? Mm. And he actually says, and w- it's our hope is the source of our joy because it rests us from a attachment to the things of this world and and connects us with God's plan of salvation it's like it's you know and so th- there's a sense in which even in that that pain can actually put us at the coal face of that reality in a se- but it all depends on recognizing that other dimension i think this is true too of experiences of pleasure you know in the last uh, episode you know I-, I talked a little bit about the sacramental nature of the good things in life, the pleasures of life have this sort of sacramental in, in a in a bigger framework, in that double axis framework. We can recognize, wow, in this the goodness that I'm experiencing and, and the, the pleasure that I'm experiencing, uh, you know, provided I I treat it with a sense of that respect and, you know, mm-hmm. in, in accordance with the sacredness of whatever we're dealing with. It communicates, in a sense, the goodness of God to us. It can have this, as I said, this sacramental uh, sort of significance for us. In the same way as you know, we in, in church we take the when I talk about sacraments, mm. it's like uh, you know when we take the bread and the cup, and there's a very unique sense in which those are sacraments given to us to communicate something, uh, particularly about the gospel. But in a sense, and, and this is borne out in Scripture, it, the sense in which all of creation has. A, a like sacramental significance in terms of communicating the goodness of God yeah. to us. Mm. All creation declares. Yeah, well, it, it declares that, but even our our participation yeah, in it right. is a participation in the goodness of God. Mm, mm. And so, in a sense, we are because you know we can you know when you think about experiencing God, you know we think about I don't know what we think about you know some big some big sort of one-off experience. But the fact is we're all experiencing God. You know, I mean, we just enjoyed a coffee yeah. together um, and it was largely due to you, Connell, going yes, out and sir. buying the yep. buying the coffee. Yes, but, the, but, but you know, I mean, you know, even in something seemingly mundane like mm. that, I mean, we are, you know, we're enjoying the goodness of God, you know, feeling yeah. the, you know, the warmth of the sunshine and the, and all simple everyday experiences. There's thing is, there's a constancy to that, you know, and it's interesting in, in, uh, in Acts when um, uh, Paul goes to uh, some uh, Greek peoples, you know, who, uh, sort of non-Jewish and his message to them is, is that you are experiencing all the time. God sends the rains and the harvest and the good things that you're experiencing. That's the goodness of God. So so it's this sense in which we are constantly experiencing the goodness of God. What we need to get better at is actually recognizing that yeah. and mm. engaging with that in a, in a mode of worship and praise and so forth. So I think... Sorry, Stuart. No, I was me. just going to say, I just wanted to come back to a point before we move too far beyond that. But, you know, you made the comment about pain and sort of trying to meet God in that horizontal. And if it's a painful experience, you're kind of 
jumping to blame God. I feel, and it, this is a little bit for me as well, um, I feel for some Christians, maybe it's also the other end, where if something's really pleasurable, you're sort of going, oh, gee, is this okay? You know, it's mm. like, um, I mean, obviously we all enjoy the sunrise and the things that are kind of part of creation, but there are other things that happen in our lives. And I find myself kind of questioning not only in fact, for me, probably less so the bad things. And maybe it's just a sense of what I feel like I deserve compared yeah. to anything else. But at the other end, when things are going really, it's like, oh, gee, am I am I of the world? You know, am I really, is this good? Is, you know, where, where really there's nothing wrong with it. Mm. But, you know, I think there's an equal tension there for, for some Christians perhaps and feeling like, you know, I'm not meant to be, you know, having a good time kind of thing, yeah. perhaps. An interesting reference yeah. point for that point. Stu is Paul's when he addresses communion in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and in in those days communion was in the context of a meal and and that that's important actually because uh, food represents enjoyment pleasure you know tangible pleasure mm-hmm. um, it talks about the wedding feast and things like that it, it's it's a way of symbolizing pleasure yeah. and so the idea of a communion meal and people gather around a communion meal and the problem that Paul diagnoses in 1 Corinthians 11 is not it's not to do with the pleasure it's to do with the fact that certain people are hoarding everything you know what i mean that that you're right. hoarding all the pleasure and some people are being robbed of that when the whole point of the symbolism of this sacred meal which is the lord's supper uh, which is, you know, the the, uh, the bread, which was the staple, and wine, which really uh, symbolizes that the joy, joy in a sense, and pleasure is really, some, mm. Uh, mm. you know, uh, wine is is in, in a sense associated with that, and then of course comes to be associated uh, with with the, the shed blood of Christ. But you know, the problem there is the sense in which it's been hoarded, and and it's the sharing of the pleasures yeah, right. that. Really is maximizes that you know. I mean, it's we we love experiencing uh, wonderful things, but uh, experiencing those alone, mm-hmm. it, it somehow detracts from that. You know, it's actually the sharing of good things that, and yeah. this is why you know in almost every culture, meals are shared are a moment when people come to in every culture. Mm. People come together and they eat together and they enjoy because the enjoyment of the same good thing has this, you know, binds us together in, in, in a way. And I think we're sort of built for that, yeah. you know, pleasure, the, the you know, uh, pleasures can have this, have this effect of, you know, elevating us beyond our individualism and beyond yeah. our, That's good. Uh, you know, it's just about me. There, there's a, in the biblical worldview really um, sanctifies pleasure. Um, perhaps the more ascetic uh, tradition, religious traditions, which depreciate the pleasures of life. I mean, in a sort of in 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 philosophy, you know, Platonism tended to depreciate the pleasures of life. And then you had uh, moving a little further on Stoicism, which says, "Oh, it's just indifferent. The pleasure of this life are just indifferent. That's not what life is about." Whereas, actually, in the biblical worldview, no pleasure is actually partly what life is about. You know what I mean? So, in a sense, we we, we do affirm that the we we're, see neither are we cancelling out the horizontal no, exactly axis right. as well. Yeah. What on. we're what we're recognizing in the Christian worldview, it's a double axis, right? Mm. We're not saying, and because some. Uh, some religious traditions have cancelled out the horizontal yeah. and said, and 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 this is true, for example, of Greek and Roman Stoicism, is that they essentially made the horizontal axis completely indifferent, 
and uh, and so, you know, I think we've got to be careful of that as well. It's not actually indifferent, but it can actually have an elevating mm. effect. It yeah, has right. there's this other dimension that we need to combine it with. It's almost like that. It's almost like the horizontal. Is is it's kind of the here and now in the world that that God created for us mm. to live in and enjoy and participate in, and that brings us together as people and yeah. relationships, and, yeah. and so and to experience it. And if that's the only access we've got, we kind of seek God within that. Yeah. And I think that's why it's important to bring the other access in, mm. because I think maybe the seeking God should be in the more in the vertical axis and not keep, go seeking God in the horizontal mm. axis. Yeah. And I think that's the mistake that I think a lot of us make, because in the normal sort of churn of life, and I know myself, I'm up and down as to mm. how I, in my faith, mm. um, and how I feel about how close I am to God on, on you know, different periods of time as to what's going on going on around me. And that when we introduce that vertical axis mm. back in there, it kind of goes, well, I've got to actually be drawn out of whatever it is, whether it's pleasure or pain. And when I'm seeking God, I'm seeking God towards mm. the sacred. Like I'm, I'm getting out of that. Not so much. I'm not leaving it behind, but I'm wanting to 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 dial down my that around me yeah. and and try to dial into God and, yeah. and the sacred around me, irrespective of what where I am on that yeah. horizontal. That's like, right. Great segue. How do we how do we do that, Matt? Yeah, you know, yeah. How do yeah. we how do we draw people draw ourselves up or get ourselves you know more yeah. focused on that so well, could- the, the the key word there i guess is sense is becoming sensitized to that because one one of the things that i think uh, we are very impacted by our culture. We, human beings are inevitably products of their culture, and so uh, I would argue that every uh, every Christian it doesn't matter just because we have different beliefs or even different ethical you know at, at the surface to you know the people around us, non Christian people around us. The fact is, we do share in the same culture, and and we're all shaped in some sense by that uh, by, by that culture. This is interesting because there are actually still there are a lot of Christian elements still in that culture. We can easily miss how much of our culture has actually been shaped by the by the biblical worldview. So, so our culture is it's not completely absent, uh, and in fact, a, a strong case for this has been made by Tom Holland in his book Dominion, you know, best selling uh, book that. In, in a mainstream publication, so it's not from a Christian point of view. I should underscore that, as mm. usual. I'm, you know, uh, quoting from all over the place here. But he actually, it's interesting, he makes a really interesting case for the fact that even the debates, you know, when he looks at the, you know, debates in, say, American politics, and, I mean, his point is, is that that actually is more like a, the, the values that undergirding that both sides actually are in many ways derived from the Christian worldview values for justice and equality and and respect for human beings and on the you know and then the you know some of those moral and ethical you know beliefs on the other side you know whether it's justice on one or moral issues on the other or whatever he said it all comes from you know all of those priorities come from uh, the the sort of biblical worldview and and hence the name of the book you know he says that that christianity still in our culture exercises this level of dominion really and so it's a really interesting case so so I I wouldn't want us to miss that. Okay. However, uh, I will say that uh, increasingly what we've been saying is that our culture has flattened 
you know, flattened that down and missing this this other dimension. And even in some ways, and and so in this sense, our culture is full of paradoxes, full of and and in fact, this is what I mean. Tom Holland even says this. There's there's lots of sort of contradictions going on. You know, uh, is that you know people attack Christians with Christian values. You know, <laughs> he's constantly pointing out all of these, uh, you know, all of these paradoxes. And um, but yeah, there certainly is a sense in which our culture does tend to desensitize us. There's a number of elements uh, in in our culture, I think that that do this, even the sheer speed and rapidity, the noisiness in terms of activity and information, the flood of information that, mm. that, that we intake, it can have a desensitizing uh, effect. A lot of the media, we're very over-stimulated um, with media. A lot of that media is in narrative form. And it causes, I think, I'd refer to it as a kind of narrative dysphoria in the sense that it messes with our sense of, of what is the good life, you know, our, our, that, that very fundamental sense of, of goodness, mm-hmm. you know, our sensitivity to what is true goodness. And it flattens that, right? So, you know, so you, you, you know, you're not watching your average um, you know, drama on Netflix or whatever is not really affirming the sublime and the sacred, and mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 affirming a fairly flat kind of lifestyle. Or, or, in fact, can I say perhaps even it's deliberately and intentionally trying to flatten it? Yeah, you know, particularly you know, if you you look through your sitcoms and stuff on TV and stuff, there's been almost to me it seems like an intent to squash anything that suggests that they're sacred because it also yeah, suggests well, that they're shaman. Yeah. And, and, well, yeah, I mean, um I'm not sure to what extent it's conscious intentionality. So sometimes sometimes it may be. Yeah. Okay. I feel like there's often an agenda behind programs that are meant to be for entertainment. There's, it's not just an entertainment agenda, but that maybe that's yeah, just yeah. my perspective. Yeah, there, there possibly is. Uh, you know, I think um, I, I don't think that agenda is always clear to yeah. those who drive that, and part, and it's partly because it's so inconsistent. Right. You know, that you know we're very quick to jump to sort of a, a sense of, for example, a sense of moral indignation at times. You know. Yeah. And that demands, you know, that that demands a bigger framework. That le- the level of moral indignation that often gets expressed yeah, right. in our culture demands actually a bigger framework that it actually doesn't have. You know, so I think that you know when we're bombarded with that narrative, we're, we're very we're very sensitive. Our imaginations are very sensitive. I mean, this is in, in one thing that will another thing that we'll talk about in a future element is how we actually form our worldview. Worldviews are formed not just with information, you know, right or wrong information, but it's actually it's what shapes the imagination. Uh, it's what you imagine. The imagination actually has has a very, very key, crucial role. It's been very underappreciated, I think, uh, in the Western intellectual tradition, the importance of the imagination. So what you imagine, uh, if your imagination is stuck in a rut, you're stuck in a rut. And uh, and I think a lot of contemporary the narr- contemporary narrative that comes through pop media uh, is flattening is is putting our imaginations in a rut uh, yeah, right. in a sense that we we're not uh, you know in in what we imagine the good life to be always looks like the same 
Mm. And, and, and that has an effect, right? Because it appeals to our desires. And the other thing, the other way in which our, our worldview is formed actually is not primary intellect, but desire. It's what appeals to your desires mm. that, shapes, uh, that shapes your worldview. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, why do people not worship God? Because of their, they wanted to follow their desires uh, instead. Uh, and, and so they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. So, so in a sense, you know, there's that. And, and it's, I mean, it's important to be aware of this because we, I think we overexpose ourselves, not to mention the, con- the, the, the explicit content that's in those things. So, mm-hmm. so I haven't even mentioned that yet. You know, mm-hmm. when you're talking violence, uh, you, know, um, you know, all the sex and violence on, you know, uh, because in, in that human beings aren't being really treated like, I mean, you know, we all love a revenge story. Mm. You know, he, he, you know, he killed me and my, so I'm going to go and, mm. and, and shoot him up and the, and, and yay, the bad guys are all dead. But I, I don't see in the gospels, Jesus saying, yay, bad guys dead. Mm-hmm. That, that's not part of the inherent sacredness of, mm. you know, the, 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 uh, for humanity, the desire there is redemption, is re- this redemptive uh, purpose, and and uh, and so it's quite a lot of that has this sort of de- desensitizes us uh, to to a lot of that. So, stuff. so what are you saying, man, in terms of what we can do about that? Uh, well, in terms of, you know, you know, I mean, we could watch less telly. That's yeah, well, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and I'm not, you know, th- this isn't saying I- I'm not devaluing entertainment or you know, I, like I'm. I don't want to be puritanical about because this is about being measured. It's mm. it's the sheer it's the sheer amount, you know. And and I'm and I'm I, I don't want to slap people on the wrist and say you shouldn't watch that. And you should. I mean, I think there probably are some things that's just not helpful, not helpful, you know. You, you know, but I don't want to be puritanical about that. So I guess the, it's being aware of what the things that do desensitize us, mm. you know. So for me, practically, uh, I. I find uh, that there was a particular stage in my life where I really did reduce my media intake. I mean, I'm being really practical now. Yeah, that's good. I reduced my media intake. And then, and, and I did that for a long time. And I remember then going through a stage where, where I, I got a bit lost in, I just started binging some TV shows, you know. And I actually noticed the effect that it had on because I hadn't been in that space. I noticed how disoriented I felt actually in my in my sensitivity, mm-hmm. in my desires. I, I I just lost, I lost, which is why I speak of narrative dysphoria and just mm-hmm. uh, it, it, this sense of I just felt disoriented. And uh, you know, I mean, and it's a little bit like you know, I did the same thing once. I went off sugar for for quite a while, and then. Uh, when I went back and started eating, sure, I, I I felt it was like sickly, it, it and it had this really. I really noticed the effect that it had on me because I hadn't been on a, a lot of you know I've gone off, um, you know refined sugar and so and this is you know sort of an analogy, but I think it's a good one. You know, in that time when I went off sugar, I started to actually taste the sweetness, mm. the inherent sweetness yeah. of. Like fruit, for example, fruit, yeah. just man, it started tasting so good, you know. Uh, you know, and because in a way, all of the artificial sweetener had desensitized me to the inherent sweetness mm-hmm. of the ordinary things, you know. You know, I had the same experience. I think when I uh, when I reduced, you know, and again, you know, I didn't. Uh, I'm not talking about you know not never watching because I you know I want to be realistic here, but just reducing my media intake actually had the effect of, you know, making me 
a bit more present, a bit more, uh, you know, slowing my mind down. Uh, I could enjoy contemplative. I could, you know, enjoy, enjoyed reading th- things that things that actually involved. Um, engagement, engagement, people. active engagement. Because the other problem with um, a lot of that media is it pushes it into us, into it pushes us into a passive mode of reception. Yeah. You know, uh, it just feeds it to us in this really sensational sort of way, uh, and so we become quite uh, lazy in a, you know, in terms of you know, sort of intellectually lazy. Um, so, you know, the ability to, you know, sit outside and just enjoy, you know, sit out and have a cup of tea and sit in the, sit in your seat and look at your garden. And I mean, that's, you know, yeah. in, in a way, you know, one of the, one of the first practical, because people jump to, oh, I've got to have, go, I've got to go out and have some big experience of God. Mm. And that's the, you know, that's the answer. But the fact is, we've actually, one of the things that we've got to do is actually recover contemplative spaces. And I've, you know, referred to this a couple of times uh, already. You know, the ability actually to inhabit an empty space without that agitation, because what happens to a lot of people is they feel so agitated. So what do they do? They pick up their phone and they go, you know, scroll through whatever they're scrolling through, bang, 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 you know, short hits of mm. things. Now, man, we're addicts. That mm. That's mm. the behavior of uh, addicts. When we're addicts, which we all are addicted to, to all of those things mm. that you've just mentioned there, is that if you want to escape it, you actually have to make a conscious choice to escape it because I think if we don't make that conscious choice, we just kind of just drift along naturally into mm. it. It's like what you said about, say, sugar. It's easy if you're used to sugar. You first taste, you know, drinking a coffee without sugar. Mm. It's like, oh, you know, mm. I don't like it. So you've got to make it – if you're going to escape the drawer of you've sugar, got push you've got to push past that. Mm. Yeah. And it's a deliberate – deliberate choice if you're not if you're not pushing past things like watching your you know stuff on netflix or youtube or whatever you're just going to keep watching it yeah so then that's the natural behavior i think Mm. inclination of us and Mm. i think the unnatural inclination of us is to actually put all that aside and and recover those contemplative spaces like you're just starting to talk about there which 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 requires us to give up all of those things. And it probably isn't going to feel very comfortable mm. to do that because we have that sense of urgency within us and what's happening. Uh, I've just got to, I've got to check my phone every five minutes to see if there's another item on the news or, mm. or, or something, you know, it's just, it's, and I'm conscious of it and go, this is just insane that I've got to keep looking for this <laughs> stuff over and over again yeah. all through the day. Like, what is wrong with me? Mm. Um, and if I'm not doing that, I'm starting to wonder. Jesus. And it's making us more and more impatient too. So, the, uh, you know, they have the, the, the reels on, on, on Facebook now. Yeah. And like, you know, and, and there's these short, you know, these short little hits that and you, you click on one and then it takes you to one and you watch that and then all the next ones start yeah, to that's pop right. up. Yeah. And you, could, you just keep following it through yeah You've got to make a conscious choice. and so we have this kind of attention deficit thing then going on because mm. it just keeps and so yeah it's what you're saying what you're saying spot on it's not going to happen just because we hope it happens we've mm. actually got to pay the the pain of actually putting it aside and you know i think you know the, the challenge here is i think as matt said before we want to go from zero to a hundred overnight you know and we're we're probably better to bite off small chunks of mm. practical things we can do well you know, there's you know there's a very simple and important biblical yeah, answer to this. Yeah, great. And it's in the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. no less. Mm-hmm. 
You know, like mm-hmm. this is big. Mm-hmm. It's in the Ten Commandments, Fourth Commandment, observing the Sabbath. Now, you know, I think in different times and in different cultures, you know, I, I do believe that that there's a there's a principle that goes beyond a you know which particular day yeah. it is, and the principle is we've got to stop and create space, mm. a restful space to be present for relationships, first relationship with God and relationship yeah. with each other, and. Um, I, I grew up in a family. Um, uh, my mum, my mum married again. My stepdad was a, a missionary from Ethiopia, mm. and there was no TV on Sundays. Yeah, that was the rule. Yeah, you know, even though some of the best programs for you know teenagers were on Sundays, like <laughs> Countdown and other stuff, there was no TV on Sundays, and it was like it was like no, no, we're going to set this day aside. Find yeah. something else to do. Read I, a book. Yeah. Go I, for a walk. I hated that. Oh, I hated it too. I, I, I hated it as well. I actually, like, I got brought up in a family that observed, you know, this, we wouldn't do anything that went to uh, a shop or a something. Because yeah, yeah. it made the person work. Yeah, yeah. work. So, and as a kid growing up in that environment, um, you know, all days of the week I'd be outside playing with friends, riding the bikes, mm-hmm. having, you know, living yeah. life. Mm-hmm. Sunday, Still in my mind now is etched in my mind. It's the worst <laughs> day of the week to sit there. Classic. My mum and dad would just be asleep, you know, enjoy, well, not is, doing anything. Yeah. See, isn't this part of the problem? And look, yeah. isn't it true too in the New Testament? By the time Jesus, I mean, they, if they were good at one, they were good at keeping the Sabbath. Yeah. The, the yeah. you know the religious Jews in the first century, uh, and and Jesus is just not into it. This is not what it's no. about. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's interesting how we take these principles and we make them into laws, mm-hmm. and they become this negative experience. And and I, you know, I do think, you know, in in a very real sense, Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath, but that can be a bit abstract as well. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, in the sense that he makes our peace with God, and you know, he says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy, and I will give you rest." You know. Mm-hmm. That often, for a lot of people, say, "Well, that doesn't apply." Then, mm-hmm. you know, but actually, no, it, it you know. Goodness me, it's in the Ten Commandments, so it's mm, still, yeah. you know, I still believe uh, it sits there as a commandment, I, and 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 I do I do think, um, you know, from the uh, the early church onwards, they put aside the first day of the week that, in a sense, became their uh, their day of to meet together, and and in a sense, that became the Christian Sabbath, in a sense. Mm. And now, we shouldn't co- argue about what no, day. And, and it, it, it doesn't yeah, matter. Of course, what it day doesn't is. really matter what yeah. day. But but I do think the principle yeah, actually yeah, totally. is is important. Now, um, you know, you know, I mean, I do think you know, uh, like there's something about that principle, you know, where um, you know you prioritize that corporate worship thing and, and all of that. So, so that's good. But the the principle of finding Sabbath moments, you know, finding and and I don't even mean just on one day. Mm. I, I mean, I. Uh, actually, a day a week, I do take a day where I deliberately set out not to. I mean, for me, it's it's not a Sunday because I'm a pastor. And yeah. You know, yep. uh, it, it you know, like on on my day off during the week, I I actually have to discipline myself not to watch TV, not to do work, not to mm-hmm. you know, because you get so uh, you, drawn know, back you get it. so drawn back into mm-hmm. stuff. And actually, the key is not to try and achieve anything. Even in actually prayer, yeah. I actually don't try to achieve any because again, it can be about you know, God, I want you to help me to do this and help me to do that, and straight away, my so for me, it's about pure emptying out that time, and you know, I'll go for a long walk somewhere. I'll do you know, I'll uh, uh, you know, like I, I might 
uh, I might read a bit or um, something that um, is going to help slow me mm. down. It can be as simple as practicing Sabbath as a beginning, I think. And, and I would put this right at the beginning, uh, even before, you know, a lot of people struggle with prayer. And, okay, we'll just sit there yeah. in silence. Uh, create spaces where you can just sit and, and do nothing and try to get used to that. And I think it's almost, it's being prepared to feel like you're giving up your time, almost wasting your time in a way. I use that word, I'm putting it in quote marks because obviously you're not wasting your time, but sometimes it can feel like that. And I know myself that I, I feel like when I, if I do set aside time to pray that unless there's some big thing or, or or a sense of, you know, I'm putting time aside to to pray because I want to get closer to God. But if I end up not experiencing any closeness to God, then I actually walk away frustrated yeah. Yeah. about that, and yeah. so I've got to be prepared to to let to, to 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 let go of that and go. I'm going to meet with you, God, day after day after day, even if you never show up. But, well, because it, because in a sense, you're you putting that time aside is is a gesture of priority. Yeah, you know, and and I would I would say too. There are actually some really valuable things that you can do to move towards contemplative spaces. I'm, I'm not, you know, the, the idea of sitting in silence for an hour. I realise sitting in silence for is it's just not. It's going to a lot of people are really going to struggle with mm-hmm. that. You know, we have our at you know at, at church we have our first Monday of the month we have this thing called the waiting room. You know, and and we invite people to come and sit in silence for an hour. Right, and I know. That's yeah, it's tough. It's, it's tough for a lot of people, and and people say, you know, uh, it's just it's just too hard, so I won't. But mm-hmm. my encouragement is, if it's hard, then you need to more. Is it a personality thing, though, Matt, or is it is it a discipline thing? Because you know, there are some things that people are just wired differently, or it. it you know, is is it that some people just don't have a contemplative, contemplative no, I, personality, uh, yeah. or the contemplative? Uh, look. We do talk about, you know, contemplative types of people, um, but... This is something different. Yeah, this is something different, yeah. uh, actually. Um, you know, uh, this is... The, you can't just say that that no one has a stop button. I'm talking about pushing a, pushing a stop, a stop button, button yeah, right. or, or, or having brakes, you know. Yeah. There are different kinds of cars, but they all have accelerators and brakes. <laughs> you, uh-huh. can't have, you can't have a car without brakes, right? So, I'm talking right. about putting the brakes on yep. and, uh, and achieving... Uh, a, a stillness, right? Now, I think that's something that we all need. And I guess what I'm saying is, you know, w- while there are those deeper, and certainly the waiting room that, that we do this sitting, you know, for an hour is is a sort of a deep end experience. I think there are things that can step towards that, you know. So, so for example, there were choices that I would make. There were certain books that I would read, for example, that would help to slow me down. Actually, even just reading itself is a is a is T- can, will slow you down more than than exposing yourself to, to media, which is you know. But there are certain kinds of books that I that I read that tend to that slow me down, make me think a bit more. Um, uh, you know, I mean, even sitting, even you know, I've got a playlist of music that helps to settle me, you know, and slow me down a bit. Um, 
you know, there are places that I can go to that that settle me down. Even the, the, the act of getting in the car for me, going down the coast, going on, uh, for a big walk along a beach. After about half an hour, I've started to slow down. You know what I mean? It's, but but I I I need I need it to be sort of a couple of hours because by the time, you know it takes me that long. So they're actually practical things that I can do to get away from things and to uh, to sort of achieve these contemplative spaces. Now it's funny that th- th- this is dealing with our with our sort of cultural conditioning. Uh, which involves our minds just ticking over so quickly. Well, plus the demands on life today. I mean, it's like just you've got to carve out that time. Everyone's working, you know, perhaps more than we should. Because there are lots of cultures that are far more, are far different. I mean, you know, pretty much all um, what what might be referred to as primitive cultures, some problems with that term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm deliberately using that because there's this sense that we've advanced. <laughs> yes, sense totally. Which, yeah. You know, I, I, you know, that I would challenge that in some senses. They were okay with sitting in yeah. in, in in silence and uh, you know okay with space, whereas I think you know we, we divide time up into such small increments. And so, giving a slab of time mm. to God, the principle of Sabbath is I'm going to give a slab of time to God where I'm going to put aside my usual preoccupations. Yeah. Mm. And uh, and I guess and the trouble is we take on so much that we just don't have that capacity to do that. You know, It yeah. actually does mean it's not like we can fit this in as well as. It's actually about, like Connor was saying before, making an intentional conscious decision yeah. to let go of something, but, stop doing something. I, I think it, it is a time thing, and that mm, itself is. is a problem because we shouldn't, but I, we mm. shouldn't have that limit such a strong demand place our time that we can't even find you know even if it's 15 minutes or half an hour just you know just to just to be able to slow down but i think that time thing actually translates into how we want to experience god and i would certainly say like from my experience i get very impatient with with wanting to get closer to god that I need him to do something mm. now. And I, I have gone through, I think, the most profound experience I've had with God was on the back of a time mm. of when I was questioning deeply mm. my faith mm. and and sitting down to pray and going, God, if you don't show me now who you are or that you're real or that you actually care you know, about me or my life, I'm not sure how much more I can keep, you know, doing this for. I'm not. Go- I'm sure. Not sure where I'm going to end up. And amazingly, God did nothing, and let me walk. And I did. I would walk, and I would go through those cycles of of walking from God and getting really frustrating. Going, I I can't accept the fact that you're not there, but you're kind of like, you know, as a kid, I used to go. After school, you'd go to all your friends' houses and you'd see who was home and you'd go knock on the door Mm. and there'd always be some of them home, but there was always a sense of disappointment because you thought someone would be home. You knock on the door and they're not there or no one's home. Mm. And I always felt like my relationship with God was like a knocking on the door, but the door Mm. would never open. I needed that door to open now Mm. and it wouldn't open. And it caused me to have a very deep sense of, really doubting in mm. God that started to grow and grow and grow. Mm. And I couldn't understand. 
I was growing impatient with God as to why won't you give me that experience, mm. that sense of being close to you now. I need mm. it now. And it yeah. didn't happen. And um, I think I got to a point where living without God was so frustrating and so confusing because it made no sense at all mm. um, that in the end I actually came to a place where I actually sat down on my bed and said, look, it makes sense to me that you're there. I can't live in a world without you. Mm. So therefore, I'm just going to allow you to do whatever you like. I'm going to come and I'm going to pray and I'm going to seek you and seek your face mm. and I'm, I'm not going to make any more demands off you. <laughs> if you never speak to me or show your face, I'm, a, I'm going to be okay with that. That's what I'm willing mm. to put oh. up with. Yeah. Mm. And, and I remember saying to God at that, but if you ever do want to show me your face, I'm always... I'm up for it. I'm up for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, that's when I had my most profound experience <laughs> yeah. ever with God, really with the whole room. Mm. Like, yeah. It was an yeah. incredible experience mm. that completely transformed you know, um, yeah. my experience of God. And I actually came out of my room and went, and went into my flatmate mm. who I was living with at the time. And he just looked at me. The first thing he said was, you look like you've seen a ghost. Because yeah. I just looked so pale at what had just happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah. I had no sense of doubt in God at that point. Mm. But I think the thing that broke was the fact of saying to God, I, I give up. I'm yeah. going to stop trying to control the situation. Yeah. I'm going to stop making demands. I'm going to stop saying, you must show it me now. Yeah. It wasn't in... God allowed me, and this we're talking years, mm, that yeah. he would allow me to go through that, yeah. to get to a point where finally I go, I'll just give up. I'm, mm. I'm not going to make that demand right now. Mm. I have to just let Isn't God it? be That's God. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And until I did that, then he actually showed up in a way that was... Yeah, which I won't go into now. Wow. It'll be another podcast, but I reckon because yeah. it's, uh-huh. it's it's in, it's in a sense you can't really know God if you're not willing to let God be God, yeah. and and we keep wanting to reduce God to something tangible or this or that or here he is or there he is or, uh, and God will only ever be God to us, and and it's almost like when we're willing to just completely sort of almost sink into the infinite presence that surrounds us and completely surrender you know to that and stop demanding sort of experiences to you know to verify that in some sense uh you know it, it it's in a sense that's the posture of faith isn't well, it it's like we're trying to verify god or interact with god or or get him experience god uh in the horizontal yeah on that horizontal yeah and i exactly. just think god actually chooses Ultimately, he's playing the long game, mm. which means that he doesn't want us to find when we're seeking God yeah. is that we won't find him. Again, choosing my words carefully. Yeah. You can yeah. find God on the horizontal axis, right? But I but don't, think, so that's, much more. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that's the end game here. Yeah. What God wants to do is to is to draw you to the yeah. – just transcend the, that vertical perhaps the, axis. P- perhaps the way to put that is that – it's like we won't recognize God unless he reveals himself within the on the trajectory of that flat axis. Yeah. So I want an experience or I want a feeling or I want something yeah. on that level. But, 
you know, what, what I've discovered actually is that it's way, way bigger than that. Like it's way big. You cannot reduce mm-hmm. God to that. And yes, it's not that we don't have these moments of uh, tangible experience or, but even, even for me in those moments, it's actually way bigger than that. Mm-hmm. It, it's in in some ways it it transcends that you know yes it's not like oh there's my experience you 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 feel immersed in something infinite you feel completely taken hold of by something so immense you cannot even begin to control or understand or yeah. and you know. God and God meeting us on that horizontal axis which he does I think in order to draw us up yeah the the vertical yeah is is because if he meets us on the horizontal, then we kind of think that that is it. But his long game is to is to get us seeking him, going up yeah. towards on that vertical act, getting out of the experience of an everyday experience and bouncing between pleasure and pain and, and using God as yeah, a kind it, of a tool to, yeah. to sort of somehow anchor us even more into that. His 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 game, even if it takes years of frustration, yeah. of 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 making you seek and seek and seek, is is to try to get you to get out of that horizontal and get up into the vertical yeah. to uh, transcend that. Because because in a sense, we're, we're we're so conditioned to want that pleasure hit, mm-hmm. and so we can tend to reduce God to another and I want it another now. kind of pleasure hit. That's because right. Because I've only got five minutes because I've <laughs> got right. something else to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I guess that's where sometimes those cultural expectations can really mar that because we're we're quite sensationalist mm-hmm. in, in in our culture. And we're quite emotivist, you know. Yeah. So feeling strong emotion, and and I think this is probably has become a bit true of of the sort of uh, kind of post charismatic revival, uh, even you know evangelicalism, uh, you know. For, and and you know because we've been through some great stuff, you know. But one of the things that we've tended to do is because our tradition, you know, there is these memories of big experiences, outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And so what we tend to do is classic human beings. We we have this tendency to idolize the last thing that God gave us, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, we tend to then look for the big experience in itself, you know, or, you know, the the, uh, the tangible thing or the, you know, and, and God wants to continually say, no, 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 it's actually bigger than that. Uh, of course, you're going to experience it in terms of a very tangible pleasure. Uh, but what we go back looking for is the pleasure, is the experience, is the buzz, is the the power, the the whatever it is, um, the emotion. Uh, but actually, you no. Know, God wants that to point to something so so much bigger, much more constant. This mm-hmm. is the other thing, uh, and uh, and and much more pervasive. You know, so. Um, so oh, I Matt, feel like what's the, what's the challenge point we can leave our listeners with? You yeah. know, an action point in a sense that we can take away yeah. from this because there's been so many great points made. Yeah. But I think it's important for people to go away and particularly those that perhaps are feeling like many of us do, all of us do at some point in time where I just don't, I just don't know that I can connect yeah. with God. You know, what's yeah. just one simple step? You know, and yeah. I think you've already talked about the Sabbath. How do we, how do we take that in this next couple of weeks yeah. and really try to apply that in our lives? I think uh, that that that. Applying, finding that principle is, I think, is a really great place to start. Plenty of other things that, that we'll say and we'll say in yeah. subsequent episodes. I want to yeah. talk a bit about holiness and yeah, the great. pursuit of holiness and, uh, and the, uh, to actually start looking at that at a multi-dimensional, at a multi-dimensional level. Cause I think there's some really profound things, uh, to say, uh, about 
you know, about that on, on this model, uh, hopefully. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think as a start, being sensitive to our, our intake, um, measuring, uh, uh, emptying our life out of, out of the clutter of the information that we take in, finding contemplative spaces. Um, uh, it's, it, it actually really helps to do this with other people. I, I, I would recommend, and this is why, uh, which, which, I mean, someone asked me, you know, why, why don't, you know, what's the point of coming together if you're just going to sit in silence um, when we talk about, you know, s- sitting together? And Well, actually, it's the togetherness of that because, we, you know, it creates this sort of synergy of, you know, it's this combined intentionality can really help you. But beyond uh, that, it actually creates a discipline. It's like, am I going to actually put that side time aside if I could choose when I'm going to do yeah. it? Whereas if it's on this date at this time and I need to show up, it actually yeah. helps with the discipline yeah. of actually doing it. You know, I, I met, in a very practical I, sense. I met recently with a group of intercessors that meet together, amazing, amazing uh, group of praying people. And just a small group, there's I think only four are together that meet regularly. And... Uh, they actually initially just sat in silence for about 20 minutes. Mm. You know, just sat in silence for 20 minutes. And it was beautiful that the four people just sitting, it, it, it said so much. That's, you know, just doing, you know, finding that space. Well, have you it, had times in like services every now and again, we'll have a, there's a yeah. tangible sense of God's presence in the room and we've got to the end of like, you know, having a worship time and it's like, there's an end of the song and it's like the whole rooms of the same mind and there's silence and it lingers for like a minute and, and you can tell that everybody's on the same page. I've had a few of those experience as a, in a church, Mm. Mm. all of a sudden everything stopped and there's just silence in the room of everyone just standing going what's going on there's like a sense of we don't want to move beyond this yeah this point mm. yeah that's right they're, they're, they're yeah just, uh, they can be great they can be great moments I, I think it's important for people who are in those moments to be able to you know for example go for a walk sit in your car just drive to turn the music yeah. you know really simple things turn just have a off. turn the music off yeah. and just drive and and uh, you know, okay your mind will wander but it, but it's a place to start you know, uh, find something to read maybe that, that puts you in a bit of a contemplative stuff, you know, find some music that helps with that. Start to move yourself toward uh, recovering contemplative moments. Go out, sit in your garden, you know, sit and watch your dog looking, you know, lying in the sun or something. Just anything, you know, anything that is going to help to slow you down. That It's a simple start, but it's 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 a really good start. And what it does is that it creates a clearing. It's like creating a clearing in the jungle. This is the way that I've seen it. There's, it takes a lot of work to make a clearing, but it's a place once it's made, you can always go to that clear space. Mm. Um, and so there's lots of, you know, you, you may have to work at it. It may be frustrating. It may be, but after a while, you will create a clearing for yourself that will become a holy place. So for me over years now, and, and it was, you know, it's not, I'm, you know, certainly I'm a very mentally active person. You know, for example, when in with that prayer meeting I spoke about, I, I can sit. The, the, you know, I, that's something that I'm I'm comfortable with now to sit there for twenty minutes, and and I can inhabit that space, and it is it's one of the greatest 
things, you know, I mean, I, I value physical fitness, I value health, I've, but the one thing I value the most is the ability for my mind to have not just an accelerator, I need that too for what I do, but I need my mind to have breaks as well. I, like, I need to stop. I need to find those Sabbath moments and dwell comfortably in them. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. If there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.